take your insert out. Uh, we are in the midst of, or at the end now, of a special Advent topical series about the true gifts of Advent, and in particular, thinking about the gift of Jesus Christ. But I've been comparing him for a while to the way we think of diamonds, and there are all sorts of diamonds that are beautiful that you can imagine. I mentioned one that's uh, in existence. I remember growing up uh, watching, I remember my mom's diamond that was on her ring, the first time I ever saw anything that was worth that much, and I remember looking at it from different angles and thinking how expensive that must be. And uh, as my sons uh, were nearing age to get married, she decided to give her ring to my oldest son, the first one, I guess, who got engaged. And so she gave her ring that I'd watched growing up, thinking how beautiful it was. And then um, AJ had it and had it reset for the ring that his now wife has. And I remember seeing it from a different angle now. I'd seen it growing up. My mom had at least two settings over the course of the years uh, growing up. And then now she had a, Hannah has a setting of her own. Same diamond. I could tell it's the same diamond. It's different angles, and it looks even more beautiful than I remember. The way it's set up and the way that uh, the modern jeweler put it in its setting, it's an amazing stone. It's really brilliant and, and glorious. And I think of how the different angles as you look at it makes it look, from each perspective, all the more beautiful. And I'm telling you that as you can relate with that, Jesus is way more beautiful than a diamond. And when we look at him at different angles, like we're doing through this series, we gain a new a new perspective on his great beauty, his great worth, what he's given us. He's given us himself. But with him, he has given us these gifts that we are looking at from Scripture. First, most important, the most important gift Jesus gives us is the gift of forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins. We are now able to have a right relationship with God because our sins are completely taken care of by Christ. So the gift of forgiveness is number one. And the other gifts flow from this one. The second gift we considered is the gift of adoption. We're not only forgiven in a legal sense, we're no longer guilty before God, forgiven, but now we have the status of sons and daughters. We're the children of God. We have direct access to our Father. He never turns his children away. You can come to him anytime. Talk to your Father. Seek your Father. And he cares for you. He cares for us as his children. That's a gift. Also, we looked at the gift of true riches last week. Um, earthly riches are really a mirage. They're very short-lived. But the true riches that are described in the person of Christ, they are ours forever. And there's a, a, a host of riches listed. The riches of Christ himself, his glory, his grace, knowledge, understanding, wisdom. These are all described as riches given to us in union with Christ through faith. What a gift, the riches that we have in him. Today and finally, we're looking at the gift of light that Jesus gives in himself. He is light, and he sheds light so that we can see the truth, so that we can know the truth, and he's the truth as well. But this light of Christ gives us the ability to see everything the way God would have us see it. Now, not perfectly in this side of glory, but so much more than we would ever be able to see if we were still in darkness. This gift of light, of perspective, of knowledge, of seeing reality, this is a true gift that God has given us, otherwise we'd be blind. I'll read one passage to begin, and it's John 8, verse 12. It's there listed in, on your insert. This is Jesus speaking, and this is the word of God. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light 
of life. What a gift this is. Let's pray. Father, as the Advent season of reflection on the incarnation of Christ starts to draw to a climax, we thank you for the gift of our Savior. Lord Jesus, we love to read scripture about you and all you have done for us. We worship you by the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Please illumine our minds that we might understand the various passages of Scripture that we will consider, the concepts that are described there. O Lord, may our love for you deepen as we consider the gift of true spiritual light that you have granted in yourself. I pray this in Christ. Amen. You know how different it is to see something in the dark compared to the light? That's something all of us can relate with. It's a picture that the Bible writers use all the time to describe what it's like outside of God or opposed to God, darkness, and what it's like to be in relationship with God, to have light shed so we can know the truth. It's a picture, uh, a metaphor all of us relate with. Even in modern times with all the uh, ways we have to have artificial light, where it seems like there's not too many places that are completely dark, from time to time we get a reminder of what darkness is like and how valuable light is when you're in the darkness. Just this week, I was sitting in my office at about 4 o'clock, 4.19 exactly, and all the power went out. And it was starting to get dark. It was that, that gray light because the sun goes down just before 5 o'clock, so it was starting to get dusky. I had a prayer meeting at 6.30, and I was looking at the clock thinking, boy, power goes out from time to time, but it's not going to go out too long, not here. I mean, this, everything is so new and fresh, it won't take long for them to get it back up. So I just sat at my desk. My computer still had its battery power on. Um, I had my phone to link to, so I had all the necessities I needed if it did get a little darker. And as I sat there, um, it started getting darker, and everybody else had left the office, uh, and I was waiting for other guys to come at 6.30, and as an hour goes by, now it's dark in there. Now, but my screen's still lit up, so I'm doing my work, I'm carrying on, and it's 5.20. I start to think to myself, 5.20, let me look up. So I look up Evergy and find out 6 p.m. it's supposed to come back on. Now, at that point, it's pretty dark. I mean, it's dark in the building. Only an emergency light in the hall could be seen. So I thought to myself, as it's getting close to 6, um, I need to go up and make sure the doors were still were open because sometimes they'll emergency lock if the power goes off and the guys will be able to get in. Now, normally that walk from my office, it's not that far, 60, 70 feet. I've done it how many times in 15 years? Probably 20 times a day. But when it's dark, the first set of steps, the second set of steps, they come at you a little bit differently. The angle's different, and I'm in a rush. And so as I move, I stumble over the first steps, and they get to the other ones, kind of mad that I was clumsy that way, and hit some box that was left. I have no idea who left it in the hall, but at any rate, there's a box. I hit the box. It's in front of another office, and I skirt around it, get up, thinking to myself how difficult it is when it's dark. Thankfully, there was a floodlight on, so I could see the last few steps. How many times have you been in a situation in your home where you had to get up in the dark, you live in your home, you're there all the time, but when it's dark, you cannot see those obstacles. It's different. Uh, space seems different. You see things that are not really there. Things are bigger than they are when you can sort of see them in the dark, and sometimes they're actually closer. All sorts of lack of perspective happens when it's dark. The lights never actually went on until after I finally left. It was pitch black when I left. This is a great picture of what Christ brings us, what it would be like if we did not have Christ, what it's like for those who don't have Christ, and the great gift it is that we have this light. Now, I'm not saying that people are actually blind in this world, that they can't see any aspect of truth that God has revealed, 
But to fully interpret and appreciate it and know the fundamental, most important answers to questions, you can't have that apart from Christ giving us himself as light. That's the beauty of what Jesus does. Christ is the light that shones into the darkness and reveals the truth. Through Christ, we can see the world clearly, and this is a gift. We should never take it for granted. Sin has brought darkness, and Christ has come to dispel that darkness. And he's shed it abroad in your hearts, and it's for us to shed it beyond us. Through Christ, we can interpret what is otherwise totally foreign and strange to us. None of us could have come up with the plan for salvation and eternity on our own. This is something God has revealed through Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a gift this is for us. No other spiritual truth available but that which comes through Christ. Let's consider in our time together on that insert, you can see the three points I want to make from Scripture. The first one is that we have to recognize the real problem of darkness the world lies under. Both the world itself is described as being in darkness and individual minds are in darkness apart from the light of Christ. But secondly, I want us to see that through Christ we have this light. Uh, We can understand the truth and what that means, the blessing of it, to understand the value of the gift. And finally, let us uh, from this point recognize the calling God has upon those who he's given the light to, that we would shine the light beyond ourselves because we want everybody to see. If you become a believer later in life, you probably remember what that darkness was like. For many, and it's a blessing, you don't remember that kind of darkness. You can imagine it, and as we talk about it, you know people who are in it, but maybe full appreciation can't be had unless we look into how Scripture defines it and describes it. So we'll do that together as a way of being lights for Christ in response. First, let's consider just for a moment, and you see some passages that I put under this point. Let's consider how the world is a really dark place and how it needs the light of Christ. And then our minds also are affected this way. The motif of darkness and light is one of the strongest of all the motifs in Scripture, and it's so relatable. Darkness is always associated to mankind's lostness and sin and the accompanying inability to discern what is really true. We have to be patient with people at at large. I know it's frustrating when you hear people make statements that seem so opposed to what you know to be biblically true, but recognize that in a state of blindness because of the darkness that's around them and in them, they can't always discern things that we think are so obvious because the Word of God has revealed it. The psalmist says about God, "'You are my light and my salvation.'" Light is always associated with God and with Christ. Christ, who is called the light of the world in the passage we read. John calls Jesus the true light, who enlightens everyone. God is light. He brings the truth to the darkness. He brings his glory into full view. And then darkness can't abide there. That's what happens when he comes, when he makes his presence known. The condition of the world is displayed most vividly throughout the Old Testament and into the New, obviously. But when you take the book of Isaiah, since that's a passage, or that's a book we've been looking at oftentimes with the prophecies pointing to Christ, the light who will come. Listen to Isaiah 9 describe the state of the world, especially in particular this time, even the people who were described as God's people. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is the forecast of Messiah in Isaiah 9. 
those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shone the light. The condition of humanity is described as being in darkness. It's not just the shade of darkness that's gray. In Isaiah 9-2, it's a land of deep darkness. This is a picture of the state of things, the state of the world, apart from the light of Christ. In John chapter 3, Jesus is recording the discussion between Nicodemus and himself. John is recording this. And one of the things Christ says, people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. There's some consciousness in people about things that are wrong. There's no will to go against them. In fact, in our natural state, we're driven towards them. But there's this description that we like darkness because we know it hides those things that we do, that we know are wrong, but we're too darkened to get out of. A dark world and dark hearts, and they like each other. That's the state of us, the state of the world, apart from the light of Christ. Paul captures this a bit when he talks to the Corinthians, who were relatively new believers, had come out of this darkness. Paul describes it this way, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel of Christ, the message of how we can be forgiven, that's a light that shines into the darkness of the world. But it says here that their minds have been blinded, and so they can't see. This is a direct reference to one who blinds, the devil himself. In Romans chapter 1, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. All of these passages describe how dark our minds in the world, both of them are. When you think of illusionists or magicians as we call them, it's not that they're really doing magic. What they're doing is really skilled illusions and tricks. And they love to use darkness and black backdrops and such dark colors to do the things they're doing because you can't see what's really happening. That's what darkness does. You could take an old amusement park ride, like a piece of junk from the 70s that goes around and up and down. You put it in a dark room or a little warehouse, all of a sudden that becomes like the most most favorite ride because it's in the dark now. Now it's different. It brings a different perspective to it. Driving at night is very different than driving in the day. So many people, as they get older, their eyes, it's difficult to adjust to that darkness, and it becomes almost perilous. Darkness is always associated with this change, this thing that can scare us, this thing that is gloomy. Gloom is a word that's usually described with darkness. The sense we get being in darkness is gloom. Ephesians 4, Now I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance and darkness are put together. Why is this? Paul says, due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Darkness is clearly descriptive of our state of mind in the world we live in apart from Christ in the light that he shines upon us. I hope what this does is make us, number one, appreciate that God's given us light because it's a depressing world in this darkness. But I hope it also gives us compassion so that we could shed that light abroad. Let's consider Christ now for a moment and see how he is the light and how he helps us to know truth. 
himself being truth, and he sheds light on everything so that we can interpret it accordingly. Of course, in John 8, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Christ has the effect himself of shedding light into the darkness so we can see what is actually there. That's what he does. We can see reality about the created world and what the situation is, what the future is, at least to the degree that's necessary through Christ. This is what he gives us. I mean, what could be more important? The light. The light of God is his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness. Uh, This contrasts the darkness that he comes into of evil and sin. Light. It's part of the essence of God. This is how he's described. He is completely, unreservedly, absolutely holy, as the scriptures describe him. No sin, no taint of iniquity, and no hint of injustice. In John 12, Jesus is recorded as saying, I have come into the world as light, so that what, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. It's God's will for you to come into the light so you can know the truth. This means he creates spiritual light so that his children can see the truth. And without his illumination, we would walk in darkness as the world walks. So to walk in light means to know God, to seek his wisdom, to understand his truth, and live in the light of his righteousness. And this is what Jesus gives to us. This is a great gift. It's an, you can't put a price on this gift. This is what prompts the psalmist to say under direction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is why Paul said, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How are we described as new believers? In Colossians 1, the metaphor could not be more strong. He has delivered us from the domain, the kingdom, the realm, the oppression of the darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. The message of Christ is what God uses to open people's spiritual eyes so that they can see. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he or she cannot see the kingdom of God. I think one of my favorite examples is Paul himself. You remember he meets God on the road to Damascus and he's blinded? That's meant to be a picture of his state so that he'd understand he's been blind. And God keeps him blind as he's learning what God is about to call him to. And when he gets to this house, God sends Ananias. And Ananias lays hands on him and says this in Acts 9, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, as you has sent me to tell you that you're going to regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately upon saying this, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose, was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So Paul, from that point forth, describes his condition as having been blind in the dark to being now able to see in the light. Many years later, Paul's describing and talking about what God said to him after this meeting on the road to Damascus. And he describes these directions from God by saying, I appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, 
delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am now sending you. To do what? Paul, you're to open their eyes. That's what I'm going to do through you. So that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Jesus is the light that we need, that we know truth through, we know God through. And this is what he gives us to make known to others. And that's the final point. In the most famous sermon in the Bible, I would say, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is helping us understand what it means to be citizens in the kingdom of God and what it looks like to live according to the king. And he says in Matthew 5, 14, they're listed, you, people of God, are the light of the world. He uses a description he uses for himself now and he uses it for his people. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is a picture of God's will for us now to take the light that we've received, not hide it under a basket, but let the world know. And this is the task the people of God do in a corporate way, that we as a corporate church can be about constantly sharing and promoting and pressing this message. But there's something individually all of us can consider as well. In Philippians 2, the passage I also have listed, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Why act this way? Well, you're the people of God. Act this way. But what's the purpose? What's one purpose? It says there in Ephesians 2, verse 15, among whom you shine as lights in the world. By acting as the renewed people you are, that will shine into a dark world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We take the light into the darkness and it exposes things and people are drawn to the light. It's, it's really that simple. One last story from Scripture that I think will hopefully encourage all of us because maybe as an individual you're thinking, yes, I want to bring Christ to my friends, to my family, to people around me, but I don't know exactly how to say it. I'm not sure if I can debate with them about truth claims and, and my apologetics, my ability to defend the faith isn't up to par and I'm a little nervous if I get into a discussion with somebody about Jesus and trying to convince them that he's the light. And I know that can be a real fear people have. But I'm saying to you as believers who believe the gospel, you know God's given you light, the light of Christ, that you could not have any other way. There is a powerful testimony you can have that's described in an episode in Scripture that I think will encourage you, as it does me. So you don't have to be so nervous about having all the answers when you talk to somebody. And the story goes this way in John 9. Jesus was going through traveling, and it says in John 9, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Man could not see and he never could see. And his disciples asked him, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There was a common, uh, uh, basically a superstition that if someone had any ailment, it had to be a result of somebody's sin. Jesus said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's going to be something pictured through this man's life, and they're going to learn it. 
We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, Jesus says. Night is coming when no one can work. So he puts some urgency on what's happening. Then Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, which is a strange thing to do. Then he takes that and he anoints the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, now go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So he was blind, but now he sees and Jesus gives him sight. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, yeah, that's him. Others said, no, no, he looks like him. It's not him. He kept saying, I am the man. I'm telling you, I'm the one you saw that could never see. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He said, the man they called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he now? He said, I don't know. I don't know where he went. So what do they do? They bring him to the Pharisees. Now this is on the Lord's day. This is on the Sabbath day. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how it was that he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Now keep in mind, the blind man's keeping it very simple. This is what happened. I couldn't see, now I can see, and he did it. And they're trying to come up with a reason for why this can't be right. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there is a division that broke out between the Pharisees now about what just happened. They could not deny this. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about the guy who opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. He's got to be a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind. They thought, okay, this is a trick. They did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight. But they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, and they're nervous now. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. You know, we're not responsible for him anymore is what they're saying. He will speak for himself. And his parents, the author says, said these things because they feared the Jews. They didn't want to give an answer they didn't like. But they knew what was true. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So no answer, no apologetic, no formulated argument was going to win them to Christ. They had already determined. And sometimes we think we have to formulate like that. Therefore, one of the parents said, again, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind. Couldn't see before, but now he could see. Give glory to God, they told him. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Christ. So tell us truthfully what happened. And this is where I leave you. This is how you can share with others what's true for you now that you have the light. He answered, the blind man who now could see, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, 
that though I was blind, now I see. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you have given us sight. I pray, O oh Lord, that we would have simple opportunities to give testimony to the sight we now have in Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen.